Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. Welcome into Fizz Radio on the score 1260. Thomas Schultz alongside Brad Klein, and we have a packed show today. Obviously, a lot of big news after the Georgia Tech win. Where does the offense go from here? And then we're going to get into some position grades. And then we're also going to have a special guest, Mike McAllister from SI Now, joining us on Fizz Radio. But Brad, we got to start with the offense. That was the big storyline from Saturday. I don't know. It looks like Tommy DeVito, he's kind of found his groove. They finally have a starting caliber running back in Sean Tucker. It seems like they've sort of turned a corner here. Yeah, and it certainly looks like that. Everyone was doing their job. Every position group did what they were supposed to do last weekend against Georgia Tech, and it started with Tommy DeVito. He more than doubled his season passing yard total in just one game. He gave receivers a chance downfield. Sure, his interception streak is over, but who cares? Because Gil, actually, Gil Gross uh, had a great article at orangefizz.net, so you should definitely take it, t- check it out was should Tommy DeVito throw more interceptions because DeVito throwing more interceptions actually challenges the receivers downfield, gives them a chance to make plays, and they did. Nikeem Johnson and Taj Harris, both with big touchdown catches over 40 yards, it really showed. Yeah, no, that Gill article, I want to talk about that a little bit more, but by the way, for our listeners, all of our content on orangefizz.net, and you can find this podcast either on Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts, but Brad... Speaking of that article, his argument was basically that, you know what, Tommy Vito needs to throw downfield, and in these first couple of games before the Georgia Tech game, we didn't see him do that. He threw a lot behind the line of scrimmage, and Brett, I, I want to give you this stat. In the first two games, uh, Tommy DeVito did not have a completion over 10 yards. Over 10 yards, Brad. <laughs> God. <laughs> and his, well, his previous... His previous low going into the Georgia Tech game was 22. That happened against Pittsburgh. It's just absolutely mind-boggling how this offense could go two weeks without anything vertically. They didn't... First of all, Jawar Jordan, he needed to be replaced. They did that on Saturday. Finding somebody else in Sean Tucker, he looks like he's going to be the guy. At least he did in the first half. Tommy DeVito also... Let me know what you think here, but he looked a lot more confident, and I think a big portion of what he needs to do to be successful is be able to throw the football across the middle of the field. He didn't do that in the first two weeks, and even against Georgia Tech, the tight ends weren't that involved. Aaron Hackett and Luke Benson combined for just two catches. Those were the first two catches of the game, but Nikeem Johnson was much more involved, and Syracuse needs to do that in the future. Yes, they do. I will say this, though, about the running backs, because I, you and I were both Team Tucker on this one. He was fantastic, especially in the first half. He had 100 yards in the first half, the first 100-yard freshman rusher since 2015 for Syracuse, finished with two touchdowns, 24 carries. He was fantastic. Jawar Jordan left. It looked like he was injured. He hobbled off the field in the first quarter, and Sean, T- Sean Tucker never looked back. But... I still think that this offense is best with Jawar Jordan involved. Jordan has, or rather Tucker, has 30 pounds on Jawar Jordan, but Jordan has breakaway speed, especially in the open field, and I think he can still be utilized. Yes, Tucker is your first and second down back, 
but Jawar Jordan might be that guy that has the big play potential for Syracuse. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with you there. I think he needs to be involved in this offense. I don't think you need to be running him between the tackles like they were doing in the first couple of games, but I did like them getting the ball out to him in space because like you mentioned, Brad, he is an elusive guy. Maybe you can run him off tackle, but running him up with the line of scrimmage just doesn't work. And like you mentioned, Sean Tucker's got 30 pounds on him. That works a lot better. I don't know. I mean, what do you think Jawar Jordan? It seems like he has things that he's very good at, but also things where you're just like, all right, well, you're, what, 5'9", 170 pounds? You can't go up the middle and try to challenge these linebackers in the ACC. Right. He's a redshirt freshman, and it looks like that, whereas Sean Tucker's a true freshman, and you could have fooled me. He looks like a sophomore or a junior. Uh, but look, we can talk. I think Jawar Jordan is a pretty good receiving back. How do you use him? You mentioned probably not between the tackles. Probably not, because he's not physically ready, and that's fine. But... None of this happens. We're not having any of these conversations about DeVito, about the receivers, about the running backs, if it's not for the offensive line. The offensive line that we were talking about as being one of the worst, if not the worst in the country, only allowed one sack on Saturday. Yeah, they were absolutely fantastic. Tommy DeVito had his easily best game of the year, like you mentioned, just one sack. And Sean Tucker, he, he was able to pick up yardage. And I think a lot of that... Like you mentioned, Brad, the offensive line was a lot better. But Sean Tucker can break tackles. And the thing is, Tommy DeVito, for the first time I've ever seen him do it, he actually got rid of the football instead of going down in the face of pressure. If if the play wasn't there, he said, all right, whatever, I'll get rid of the ball and chucked it to the sideline. I've never seen him do that before. And really, there's a lot of progress he needs to make still. Getting rid of the football is the biggest thing all year long. And he actually did it this time. But that's because he's taking shots downfield. If he's not taking shots downfield and and able to throw a 50-50 ball for Taj Harris to either pluck out of the air or knock down, then he's going to end up taking a sack, which he did seven times against Pittsburgh in Week 2. And as far as the running backs go, you're right. And Sean Tucker definitely has weight on Jawar Jordan. And if the offensive line is a problem, then I certainly want Tucker over Jordan taking the majority of the carries. But I will say this, Jawar Jordan has good speed, doesn't have the weight. How many times did you see Jordan in the first two weeks of the season get hit by two yards behind the line of scrimmage and then dive his way for either no, no gain, no loss, or a gain of half a yard, a gain of one yard? Jawar Jordan was not dealt a good hand in his first season of actual football at an impact level starting for Syracuse. This has been a tough year for Jawar Jordan running behind this terrible offensive line, and he's been doing a pretty good job. I think we have to acknowledge that. Yeah, I mean, I guess. You know, like, he has been because it's not his fault. Obviously, he hasn't really done a lot, but we can't really fault him for that. And honestly, after the Georgia Tech win, our own John Eads on OrangeFizz.net had a pretty good Fizz film review breaking down everything that happened. You know, Brett, I think having that run game established is so important because, like you mentioned, it gives DeVito time to step back into the pocket, wait a couple seconds, and chuck it 40 to 50 yards downfield for a guy like Taj Harris. Because if you don't have a running game that can do that, and frankly, an offensive line that can create holes and make your offense a little bit better than just one-dimensional or zero-dimensional as it was in the first couple of games, if you have that running attack, you can start to do certain things where before the Georgia Tech game, defenses were just saying, all right, we're going to pin our ears back and rush the quarterback because we know they can't create holes on offense for the running game. 
and so we're not even gonna have to worry about that against Georgia Tech that didn't happen and it seemed like yes the offensive line is probably the thing that improved the most but everyone was better and I think Tommy DeVito has more confidence and he looked like he had a lot more confidence because he wasn't worried about getting sacked every time he stepped back in the pocket I will say this, though, and there's a lot to be happy about with Tommy DeVito's day last weekend. He had two touchdown passes, over 40 yards to Harris and Nikeem Johnson. But at the same day, Tom, at the same time, Thomas, I feel like Tommy DeVito wasn't overly impressive in that he was forcing the ball in tight windows. He made something out of nothing. No, he was doing his job, which is fine. That is certainly more than he had done in the first two weeks. And I think that's all Tommy DeVito really needs to do your job okay don't be the reason that Syracuse has no chance of scoring okay and when the ball is actually inherited in plus territory which by the way happened six times over the first two weeks no touchdowns when that happens you have to be able to punch it in and Tommy DeVito did just that two touchdowns after inheriting the ball in Georgia Tech territory last week so if the defense is going to help you Tommy DeVito just has to make sure that the sacks don't get in the way Every progression, every snap moves forward. If not, just make sure it doesn't move back. It's either stationary or forward. Those are the only two options, okay? Because that's how those drives get killed. And the Orange had, or rather DeVito, had zero touchdowns to show for exactly that effort over the first two weeks. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, he doesn't need to be a great or even a good quarterback. He basically needs to be a game manager with this defense and it's been incredibly stout through the first couple of weeks and he finally did it like you said I mean he had a couple of he had I think one touchdown he had a pick but at least he's throwing the ball downfield and even though he had that long uh no interception streak that it was over 200 passes it's because he wasn't doing anything with the football and basically he wasn't doing anything and Syracuse was going three and out every time they had the ball or they were turning it over it seemed like against Georgia Tech and Maybe going into the future, that won't happen because, like you mentioned, he needs to throw the ball downfield. And like you'll mention, that needs to happen. It's finally started to happen this week because, frankly, if he's not throwing the ball downfield, what's happening is Syracuse is turning it over or they're punting anyways. And the opponent's probably getting the the ball pretty close to where that interception would take place anyway. So yeah. why not give your receivers like Taj Harris? Nikeem Johnson had a big one. I Anthony Queeley looks like he's up for the job. Give him a shot because, frankly, they just haven't been able to go make plays, and that's a big draw to the Syracuse offense generally. No, absolutely. And then that's, that's really how it's done, and I think that's one of the really frustrating things that Harris, in terms of his body language, was complaining about over the first two weeks and certainly throughout last season was that, look, this guy doesn't want to take a shot. This guy doesn't want to give me a 50-50 ball to make an SC top 10 play and, and moss my opponent, moss my cornerback. No, he doesn't want to do that. He wants to stay play it safe, bubble screen to the right, bubble screen to the left, and make me do all the work. Yeah, no, absolutely. Finally, it looked like for Syracuse fans, things were beginning to shift this past week. Tommy DeVito kind of looking like an actual stable quarterback that you can play, which... Frankly, without him, Syracuse doesn't have another option, really. Rex Colbert, I mean, he had the pass to Tosh Harris, but besides that... Dylan Markowitz, of course. Dylan Markowitz, the Messiah. (laughs) We will see what happens with Dylan Markowitz, but it looks like a quarterback... It's it's tough to say because your starter saying that he's finally emerged as the starter is not really what you want, but 
You finally got it after Georgia Tech. We'll see what happens. But when we come back, we'll talk about the rest of the positions for Syracuse. The defense, of course, the running game, and some of those wideouts and tight ends. You're listening to Fizz Radio only on the score 1260. Welcome back into Fizz Radio. Thomas Schultz alongside Brad Klein. And stick around for later in the show. We're going to have a special guest, Mike McAllister from SI Now. He covers Syracuse football, recruiting, basketball, whatever it might be. He joins the show later on. But like I mentioned, Brad, we got to give out some position grades. We'll start with quarterback Tommy DeVito. I think he's moving up. Like, last week, he's probably getting, I don't know, an F? I I don't think you can give anything higher than that. I think now, (laughs) he's probably, I'm going to give him a C-. minus. That Even that might be high. But you know what? I'm very encouraged after this past weekend. Yeah, I mean, you and I both. I'm going to stay with you, C-. Uh, it would have been a D-. minus. I can't give him an F because, you know, he still has a pulse and all that. But <laughs> at the same time, he took a huge step up last week against Georgia Tech. All he has to do, as I said before the break, is not be the reason that Syracuse loses. Give his playmakers a chance downfield, whether that's Taj Harris or Nikeem Johnson. And more importantly, figure out a way to get the third and shorts for a guy like Sean Tucker, who looks to be up to the task, for a guy like Sean Tucker to move those chains. Yeah, I mean, earlier the first couple of weeks, the Syracuse was facing a lot of third and nines, third and tens, third and twelves, things like that. that yeah, and those came to... from the sacks. Those came from yeah. the sacks. That's right. Yeah. And, and I that's mean... the thing. And we're going to grade the running backs. We're going to grade the receivers here. All of the offensive position groups are, of course, impacted by the offensive line. So it's almost hard for me to say, oh, well, you can't grade Tommy DeVito low based on the first two games just because the offensive line was bad. Well, look, Tommy, everyone is playing behind this bad offensive line. Jawar Jordan has to figure out a way to run through the line of scrimmage when there's no protection. So at the same time, there is a common denominator there, and there is an understanding that everyone has been dealt this this bad hand Now it's a question of what you're doing with it. And I don't want to spoil the next segment too much, but I've been impressed with what Jawar Jordan had done with no protection. Tommy DeVito, I was not impressed. Week three was impressive. Yeah, no, it was easily his best week of the year so far. And like you mentioned, everybody's playing behind this. And Tommy DeVito, you don't have a whole lot of time, but maybe you can hit hit some slants, some quick hitches, whatever it might be. He didn't do that. He just went straight to his check down options behind the line of scrimmage. A lot of those to running backs, which brings us to our next position grade, grade Brad. That, that would be the running backs, and Sean Tucker in particular. This one's a little bit tougher to grade, simply because Jawar Jordan was the guy the first two weeks, didn't have a whole lot of production. Then you have Sean Tucker, who had a great week. I'm going to give this running back group, it, it's tough, probably, a, I'd say a B-. minus. So, you know what? C's average, they're a little bit above average this past week. I'm putting a lot of emphasis on that because... I think that's really a better indicator of where they're going to be as the season progresses. Okay, I'm, I'm pretty much with you. I'm going to give them a C plus. It sounds like you're great, and, and that's fair for it to be based largely on optimism with Sean Tucker. I'm looking at what they did over the first two weeks, and again, I was impressed based on the hand that Jawar Jordan was dealt. But at the same time, the numbers never lie, and the numbers don't look very good. And the thing that's really holding me back from just going on this program and saying, oh, wow, Jawar Jordan makes a little something out of nothing. Sean Tucker looks like Ernie Davis. Sign me up for the running backs. The only thing that's keeping me from that is the 
dark cloud that's kind of looming over the entire program, which is, hey, remember, these are not the drones that you ordered, okay? It was supposed to be Abdul Adams. It was supposed to be Jarvion Howard. And I'm pretty sure that going forward, we're going to see why Sean Tucker wasn't RB1. We're going to see why Jawar Jordan wasn't supposed to be RB1. It was supposed to be the other guys. And I think it's largely, not even just because of seniority, I think it's talent. I think it's physical strength and physical readiness, and that's going to bleed through when the ACC schedule gets a lot tougher. See, I don't think... I, I think a lot of that is more just experience than anything else. I don't think Sean Tucker or Jawar Jordan are better backs than Abdul Adams uh, might be or Jarvie and Howard might be. I, I think you're right there. I, but, you know, both these guys are freshmen. One's a redshirt freshman, and Sean Tucker's a true freshman. So I think there is something to be said about a lack of seniority, but at the same time, Brad, Sean Tucker had 100 yards in the first half on 15 carries, a little bit more concerning in the second half on nine carries, just yeah. 17 yards. So yeah. there might be, I think there is definitely something to that, and we'll see, especially when they play better competition than Georgia Tech, what happens there. But we're going to move on here to the wide receivers. This is, I think, out of all the position groups on offense, at least, this one might be the toughest to determine how they've done this year simply because Tommy DeVito hasn't really given them a whole lot to work with and some of that's obviously attributed to the offensive line as well you know what I mean for what they can do they've done well they haven't been excellent by any stretch I mean this offense has been downright horrendous before this last game I'm gonna give the receivers a B it's just it's a very milk toast kind of we haven't seen a whole lot from them and but when they have been called upon they've kind of done what they needed to do okay so give me a c plus here so that's c's all around c range all around i have c minus for devito c plus for the running backs and a c plus for the wide receivers i'm gonna keep them in the c plus and it's because they were dealt this is my favorite expression dealt a bad hand and it wasn't just the offensive line it wasn't just that Tommy DeVito for the first two weeks looked like the weakest quarterback in the FBS it's the play calling and I'm grouping the tight ends into the wide receivers for Aaron Hackett and Luke Benson to only have one catch a piece through three weeks Luke Benson got the catch for one yard Aaron Hackett first play of the, of the game from scrimmage last week for 10 and that's been it and in my opinion, Aaron Hackett and Luke Benson are one of, if not the best tight end tandems in the conference. And the play callers, Dino Baber, Sterling Gilbert, they're not even using them. They're not even pretending to use them. So I can't give this position group any higher than a C plus. Yeah, if you're putting in the tight ends, which has been downright concerning if you're a Syracuse fan, the lack of times they've actually gone to. I mean, it just changes everything here. And it's really surprising because... The first two plays against Georgia Tech, it seemed like, oh, they're really going to emphasize the tight ends. Aaron Hackett caught, caught the first pass from Tommy DeVito of the game. Luke Benson caught the second. And it seemed like, all right, Syracuse has had a horrendous offense this whole year. They haven't used their tight ends, who might be their biggest advantage on the offense. Looks like they're going to try to finally establish them. I don't know what it is, Brad. I don't know why they're not going to it. I don't know if it's Sterling Gilbert and his first year as offensive coordinator trying to emphasize other positions, but they just haven't looked to some of their best players on offense so so far, and it's just, it's confusing. They seem to be very stuck in their ways. Sterling Gilbert, Dino Babers, they came in, and Dino Babers brought Gilbert in because, hey, 
this is the system. This is what we know, and I'm comfortable with this offense. Sterling Gilbert is running the exact same scheme as he was, as Syracuse was last year. But I think when you have these struggles through two weeks, that's when it's time to start getting inventive. And look, we can tout the offense and how it took a big step up, and it did last week. It did. But I think it's worth mentioning that Georgia Tech had one of the worst defenses in the conference last year. So we have to put it into context, and maybe it is fool's gold. Maybe it is. But what's not trickery and what is not deceptive is that these tight ends need to be used a lot more. Brad, you mentioned that maybe Dino Babers can be a little bit stuck in his ways on offense. He's an offensive-minded guy. Luckily for Syracuse fans and the Syracuse defense, he is uh, changing things up this year on the defense, bringing in Tony White in the 3-3-5 scheme. And I, I cannot be more impressed with the job that Tony White's done. I had plenty of concerns coming into the season because you don't have the practice time. You don't have the offseason. And we talked about this a few weeks ago before the season opener that this is probably a big area of concern. And they came out and they shut me up. I mean, they've been fantastic all year long. And even last week, Missing Andre Sisco, who got injured in warmups after colliding with Ed Hendricks, that defense still was really, really good. They had a couple of true freshmen step up in the secondary. I mean, I can't give the defense worse than maybe an A. I think an A is probably... Wow. They've been really, really good. And look, I think a lot of this has to do with the offense putting them in bad positions because when they have given up points, it's because they got worn down from the offense not being able to stay on the field for longer than two-minute drives. But if you put this team, this defense, on the field for half the game, at least, I mean, UNC is a great offense. They've been playing very, very well. An A for the defense. What I wouldn't give to be in your class, Mr. Schultz, <laughs> Professor Schultz. Wow, that is crazy. Give me a B plus. Look, we want to appoint the 3-3-5 as the mastermind scheme, and there's there's really no flaw to the 3-3-5 because it's looked good, and they've forced a lot of takeaways. They've forced 10 takeaways, which leads the FBS, by the way. And they're, for, they're getting pressure on the quarterback, only six sacks to show for it, but they're forcing a lot of poor decisions. We saw a lot of that last week against Georgia Tech. But there there have been some weak links with this 3-3-5, and that's fine. There are, there are supposed to be weak links with a defense that is only three games young. Fourth and eight from the SU-24, Georgia Tech scores a touchdown. For me as a Syracuse fan, if I'm a Syracuse fan, I'm watching that game and I'm thinking, man, that is a big blow. You have Georgia Tech on their heels, force a fourth down and long, keeping them out of a position you think to score a touchdown and force them to kick a field goal. And instead, Jeff Sims rolls out to his right and delivers a dart down the right sideline to the corner of the end zone. The, the big play has haunted the 3-3-5 a little bit. I'm not even going to talk about how the run game, the run defense, was pretty poor last week, only because Georgia Tech is a running team, and you live with that because you want to make Jeff Sims beat you with his arm, and he wasn't able to. So you give Georgia Tech the yards on the ground, they're going to get theirs, and then when, it, when push comes to shove, you force them to beat you in the air. Fine, I get that, but the big play should be concerning. Brad, I mean, for people clearly looking for a class next semester, they're going to want to be in my class. I'm a little bit more of a lenient grader. Yeah. But when we come back... Any in-person gonna... classes, or is it just Zoom? What's going on there? <laughs> we'll, we'll see how, how the whole pandemic thing plays out, but uh, it's, it's okay. a little bit of a TBD, to be determined kind of thing going on here. <laughs> but Brad, when we come back, we're going to talk to a bit of another expert. Maybe he's got a class on recruiting coming up next semester. That's Mike McAllister of SI Now. 
He's got all the insight on the latest Syracuse recruiting news. We'll talk to him right after the break. You're listening to Fizz Radio only on The Score 1260. Welcome back to Fizz Radio on the Score 1260. Thomas Schultz alongside Brad Klein, and we are joined by our special guest, Mike McAllister of All Syracuse on SI. Mike, how are you doing today? Great, guys. How are you? We're doing well. So we want to talk to you a little bit about the Syracuse recruiting class. My first question is, how does this class stack up to years past? Well, as of right now, it's ranked. it would be the highest-ranked class in the Dino Babers era. It's ranked 46th nationally. be the first time that they've been inside of the top 50, and they've got a pair of four-stars in, in cornerback Deuce Chestnut and offensive lineman Enrique Cruz. So I, I think they've done a nice job at finding some guys that might have blown up if, if it had been a normal year and there had been um, you know camps and, and visits and all those types of things, finding some of those under-the-radar guys. Um, I, I would look at a guy like Josh Huff, the running back from Pennsylvania, who was recently named SI All-American Freak of the Week for averaging over 60 yards a carry in his most recent game. Uh, those type of guys, I think, would would have garnered much more interest had they been able to participate in camps and show off their abilities in front of some coaches. So the fact that the, the coaching staff landed some of those guys, did a good job studying the, their film and, and finding guys that fit well, the ranking stacks up as, as as well as any class that they've had. They've got a couple of four stars, which would tie them for the most they've had in a single class. So I, I think it's it's shaping up to be the best one in the Babers era. I want to ask you about Josh Huff. He was, as you just mentioned, recently named SI's Freak of the Week. 243 rushing yards, three touchdowns on just four carries. That's freaky, okay? Is he, is he legit or is this kind of – a lightning in a bottle, hey, you had a good game, good for him type of thing. It's it's not lightning in a bottle because he's averaging over 25 yards a carry on the season. I mean, this is he is a really good prospect. Now, it should be mentioned, he's not playing in the highest level of um, Pennsylvania high school football. It's not, you know, elite level Florida or Texas football, but it's still Pittsburgh area football, Philadelphia area football. It's still, um, you know, high level high school um, football in the state of Pennsylvania. And that's exactly what you want your guy to do when you're playing against, you know, a lot of players that are on the undersized side is he should be dominating them. And he is, and it reminds me, although they're different style runners, different size and et cetera, of a local prospect that used to run all over inferior defensive players when he was in high school, uh, one Mike Hart or even Latavius Murray, both out of Onondaga Central. They put up monster numbers, and there were doubters that said that's just because of the level of competition. And we know Latavius Murray's still in the NFL now after a good college career at UCF. And Mike Hart was uh, one of the best runners in Michigan history and went on to play in the NFL um, as well. So, you know, I'm not saying he's going to end up as an NFL running back, but I'm saying – that in and of itself, the level of competition isn't indicative of anything. He's doing what you want him to do, which is dominating those guys. And he's a big physical back that I think fits perfectly in what Dino wants to do in the ground. We're joined on Fizz Radio by Mike McAllister of All Syracuse, part of the Sports Illustrated Now Network. Mike, is there a recruit besides maybe Josh Huff in this recruiting class that when you think about it, you think, oh, this guy is just incredibly underrated? 
Yeah, I think Landon Morris. I don't think he gets enough of enough attention, and he's coming into Syracuse as a tight end. Um, he had Power Five offers from the the Big Ten, the Big Twelve, the SEC, um, as well as the ACC, and committed to Syracuse. There was some question as to whether he had a committable offer at some other schools, but regardless of that, he's a guy who's about six five, two twenty, two thirty runs routes like a wide receiver, has that kind of speed like a wide receiver, almost plays similar to Jamal Custis, who had success at Syracuse in a lot of ways. But Syracuse is bringing him in kind of as like a flex tight end who can move around the formation, present some matchup problems with with the opposition. One of those too big for a defensive back, but too fast for a linebacker types. I don't think he gets enough attention in terms of what he could be in this class. And then I'll point out, um, a couple of linebackers, Malik Matthew and Austin Rune. Um, those are two guys who are extremely athletic. You look at what Syracuse has done at the linebacker position, the young guys that they have right now, uh, Michael Jones, uh, Jeff Cantu, those types of guys, and, and even the Stephon Thompson, who's, who's been in there, Marlo Wax, those really athletic, quick type of linebackers who also have a frame to add some good weight to it. And both Rune and Matthew fit that mold as guys that, that are athletic enough that they could make an impact right away and in a couple of years could be uh, high-impact guys. Mike, uh, a, lot, a lot of the Syracuse fans really want to know about this offensive line. Even after last week, it looked like they took a step up. That's been the Achilles heel of this team, especially this season. And we have five offensive line recruiting uh, commits that we've, we've seen in this class is this the class that SU finally improves that offensive line? You hope so, but he, here's the problem when, when you land good offensive line recruits is there's a very select few of offensive line recruits that are going to come in and make a huge impact right away. Those are usually the high four and five-star types that are going to the Alabamas and the Georgias and, and those types, those type of schools where they can play right away. And if they don't pan out, the backup option to those is another four or five star recruit. If you are at Syracuse and you get a guy like Enrique Cruz, who's a four star offensive tackle, he needs to come in and be, and be what you think he is as a recruit. If you miss on him, there's not another elite offensive lineman waiting in the wings that can step up and you don't feel uh, the, the burden of that miss at a place like Syracuse. So I do like what they've got along the offensive line. They got two players, two offensive linemen out of Hawaii, which is not something we've seen um, at Syracuse, which is kind of an interesting little twist there. And then Cruz, as I mentioned, and I, I think the guys are strong. They've got good feet. They move well. Um, and they've got potential to be impact players along the offensive line. But I don't think we'll really know if these, if this group is uh, the one that can get Syracuse back to an above average offensive line like they had in 2018, probably until two or three years down the down the line. Mike McAllister of all Syracuse, the Sports Illustrated channel joins us here on Fizz Radio. Mike, Tommy DeVito kind of solidified himself as the starter after the Georgia Tech win. And there's already some discussion about who's going to be the next guy up. How does Justin Lampson compare to current Syracuse quarterbacks when they were recruits? Well, Justin Lamson would be the highest ranked or most coveted of that group outside of DeVito. We know DeVito was a four-star. Um, he made a lot of waves when he made a run to the Elite 11 finals and, and got a lot of accolades. And Matt Hasselbeck was talking him up as part of that whole thing. And um, so coming in, Tommy DeVito was going to be the most hyped. 
but I think Justin Lamson falls in right behind him um, as probably your, your second most hype, second most coveted, second highest ranked. And <clears throat> different from Tommy DeVito, he's someone who does make plays with his legs. You know, DeVito is fast. He, he's faster than he's given credit for he can take off when there's a lane there as we've seen him do several times this year but he's not an Eric Dungy where you're going to do designed runs for him he's not going to lower a shoulder run a guy over and he's not going to take over a game with his legs and rush for 60 70 80 yards when you really need that spark offensively Justin Lamson can be one of those types of players he's not the exact same type of runner as Eric Dungy but in terms of the way he plays, the attitude with which he plays the game and his winning mentality, along with some gamesmanship, some toughness, all those types of things, he does remind me a little bit of, of Eric Dungy in terms of, of the way he plays. So in terms of his attitude, I think he's the guy, if you're looking at the future, that if you're if you're a stock market guy and you're who's who's the best bet, he'd be the guy that I think you'd want to buy the most stock in. Well, Mike talking about stock and hype deuce chestnut has plenty of it but he was downgraded from a four star to a three star we know this is there any reason as to why so this was here's here's what i'll explain so on 24 7 which which is where i used to work before switching over to sports illustrated if you go to a player's profile they've got two rankings they've got the composite which is the average of 24 7 espn and rivals and then underneath that, they've got 24-7's individual ranking. 24-7's individual ranking, which is just their own, he was a three-star the entire time. He was a high three-star, but he was always a three-star. He was a four-star on the composite because rivals had him as a top 150 player overall in the class, a top 10 player at his position, and so a very high four-star caliber player that moved his composite up to a four-star. Shortly after he committed, Rivals dropped him from being in the top 150 to being outside of the top 300 and going from a top 10 player at his position to a top 25 player at his position. And although he stayed a four-star on there because he dropped so much in their overall rankings, it got rid of one of his stars on the composite. Now, why Rivals did that, I honestly don't know. I think it's curious to have someone drop that much when they've been as high of a four-star as he had been on their system uh, for as long as he had been, simply because there hasn't been any, when he got dropped, there hadn't been any new tape. There had been no summer camps. He hadn't done anything that in front of anyone that would have said, oh, he's not quite as good as I thought he was because I saw him and he's not faster. He's smaller. His technique is worse or anything like that. Nothing had happened and they dropped him. So I know there were conspiracy theories out there about the fact that he got dropped just because he committed to Syracuse. Uh, I would like to think that's not the case, but I don't have the answer as to why rivals decided to drop him. Regardless of why they might have done it, Syracuse, like you mentioned, just like Deuce Chestnut, has a lot of really talented guys in this recruiting class. I think you said, Mike, the best since Cino Babers has been here. And this season, Syracuse is relying on a lot of true freshmen. Is this 2021 class capable of similar immediate production, if need be? It's funny because when I was asked that same question um, for the 2020 class, I didn't think that they were going to have to rely on a lot of those guys for immediate impact. But then you have Andre Cisco going down before uh, the game against Georgia Tech, and all of a sudden Robert Hanna has to play a lot of snaps. You have Eric Coley, you know, he, he seemed to be out for, for some snaps, and they put Jihad Carter in there, and he made some plays. So um, it's hard to say whether or not they will need that to happen. You'd hope that that wouldn't be the case. 
but, you know, they've got some guys who can come in and make some plays. Elijah Fuentes along the defensive line is a guy who's, uh, you know, physical but also has some some quick twitch to him, so he could play on there. Uh, Terry Lockett is a guy who they've talked about moving all over the defensive line, so they could use him in a variety of ways. Same thing with Hayden Nelson. Um, you know, so Josh Huff, I think, is probably your guy that might be um, the most likely, depending on the status of Jarvion Howard and Abdul Adams going forward. We know they're opting out this year, but do they come back? Do they not? We don't know. Um, I think because of his physicality and because the running back position is the easiest transition from high school to college, he's got a chance uh, to play right away. And then, you know, if something were to happen to Tommy DeVito where he got hurt and he needed a quarterback to fill in for a couple of games, then Justin Lampson has an opportunity to be that guy. He'd be certainly be in the mix. So it's hard to predict one or two specific guys that definitely will, but I do think that there's probably eight to 10 that will have the potential to contribute if needed. Well, Mike, at the end of the day, when you're on the Syracuse recruiting trail, it's all about the future Anyone that Syracuse fans should keep an eye on as to as to who can commit maybe tomorrow or the day after, maybe what does the future look like for Syracuse recruiting? Yeah, in the 2021 class, um, they've got 21 players committed, ironically, um, and they're just about full. So they are looking at a cornerback out of Suncoast High School in Florida named Will Wells, and he's about a 6'1 corner, great length. Syracuse is recruiting him really hard. Utah is after him. Washington State also after him. Um, he's pretty much the top uncommitted target. And then there's been, um, you know, some some buzz behind the scenes that Syracuse is still pursuing Elijah Clark, who's a four-star defensive back, currently committed to Rutgers. But he is a teammate of Deuce Chestnut at Camden High in New Jersey. So you know that Deuce Chestnut's in his ear about trying to get him to flip from Rutgers to Syracuse so they could both come up and play up at Syracuse. And you know, obviously, that with with what Syracuse defensive backs have done in the last couple of years, and especially this season, Trill Williams earning some, some um, you know, ACC recognition, Andre Sisco, a preseason All-American, and, and what he's done since he's been at Syracuse is well-documented, and then a couple of true freshmen making some impact plays this past Saturday. That's got to intrigue a young defensive back prospect. So, um, you know, he, he recently told the Rutgers 24-7 site that he's all Rutgers. Uh, he's still 100% committed there, but I do know that Syracuse is still um, involved there. That's pretty much all that's left for the 2021 class. And so they can take the rest of their resources and look towards the 2022 class, which might end up being a little bit smaller than normal because the pandemic didn't cost players this year a year of eligibility. They may end up having a little bit of a scholarship crunch for the 2022 and 2023 seasons. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. But those classes will probably be a little bit smaller than normal. It should be really encouraging to the Syracuse fan base to already have most of that 2021 class filled out. And you can find all of Mike McAllister's work at All Syracuse, part of the Sports Illustrated Now Network. Mike, thanks so much for joining us. And when we come back, we're going to get into your questions. It's Fizz Feedback right after the break, only on The Score 1260. Welcome back into Fizz Radio on The Score 1260. Thomas Schultz joined alongside by Brad Klein. And now... It's time for a little Fizz Feedback where we answer your questions on Fizz Radio. Brad, what's our first question today? All right, so we start with who is the most trustworthy defensive player outside of Andre Sisco? The possible answers, Trill Williams, Ifi Melifamu, 
Josh Black and Michael Jones, who is a personal favorite of mine, but Trill Williams takes it with 55% of the vote, and we actually got a response from at Garrett96242210. Try saying that three times fast. He said that this was actually a tough decision, that he voted Trill because of the game-breaking plays, but Afatu Malafamu shutting people down, no one throws to him. Yeah, I mean, I gotta agree. Look, this secondary is really, really good, and there's a lot of depth, and you really can't go wrong with any of these picks. Josh Black has been tremendous on as the star defensive lineman this year. Of course, Michael Jones has been great at linebacker, really emerging this season as the guy, even though he's only a sophomore. Brad, I gotta go Trill Williams here. I think he's just so, so good. Ever The past couple of years, he's had two tremendous uh, either a fumble recovery against Wake Forest in the season closed last season, or of course, this Jihad Carter lateral pick six against Georgia Tech. I think he's the guy just because more so than besides besides Andre Sisco, there's nobody on this defense who really can break a game open and make a game-changing play like Trill Williams can. Yeah, absolutely. And we move on to how do you feel about Syracuse football post by? Certainly could be a turning point for the Orange after the Georgia Tech win. So, Georgia Tech was a turning point, or the Orange still have issues, or there's always that to-be-determined option. But 57% of Fizz Nation says that the Orange still have their issues, and that's fair, Thomas, I and mean, it's true. I mean, not one Georgia Tech, one win against a struggling Georgia Tech win isn't going to make up for the offensive line struggles, even Tommy DeVito's woes in the backfield and taking all those sacks because Georgia Tech has one of the worst defensive lines in the conference. So I'm not going to forget about the first two weeks, especially from the offense, but it's certainly a good sign. Yeah, it absolutely is. And you got to remember those first couple of games were both against a couple of top 25 opponents, UNC and Pitt, even though it's a lesser top 25 field this year. I agree with you, Brad, and I agree with Fizz uh, Nation here. This is a good sign, but there's still plenty of problems that are on this roster. And I don't think one win against a measly Georgia Tech, game, Georgia Tech team excuse me, is going to change that. I think you have to view this as nothing but a positive. You finally saw your offense start to click. Now, Brad, what I'm more interested in seeing is, of course, we have a bye this week. Team's got a lot of time to practice and really build on this confidence. And then next week, you got a Duke team. That was 0-2 as well heading into last weekend. This is a moment for Syracuse to really build on positive energy. And it'll be really interesting to see if they can take advantage of it because, look, Duke's got Chase Bryce now, a quarterback to Clemson, a grad transfer who went to the Blue Devils. So there's an opportunity to really build on this momentum, but Syracuse, it's to be determined if they take advantage of it. So you would vote to be determined because, again, there are some variables out there, but at the same time, Chase Bryce is good, but at the same time, the Orange still have their problems, and whether they win this Duke game or not, I'm still voting that the Orange have their problems. Right, I'm going to agree with you, Brad, and agree with Fizz Nation that there's still a lot of issues for this Syracuse football team to address now, this Georgia Tech game. It's nothing but a positive. There's a lot of good things that the Orange can take away from the first win of the season, but there's still a lot of areas it needs to clean up. But that'll do it for us here on Fizz Radio. If you missed any part of our show, you can find it all either on SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, wherever you might get your podcast, or on our website at orangefizz.net, where we also have tons of great articles to check out but that'll do it i'm thomas schultz alongside brad klein this has been fizz radio on the sports 1260